Welcome to the Millionaire Secrets Podcast, where the most successful people in the world share their secrets to help you create the awesome life you desire. Welcome to another episode of Millionaire Secrets. Jeff Lerner, always excited to be here with you. And today we have a doozy for you. We are joined by David Ledge Ledgerwood. He is the co-founder and managing partner of Ad One Zero which basically provides outsourcing, and we'll let him expound on what they provide, but as, as I understand it, provides outsource uh, managed sales solution for B2B tech companies that are trying to add one zero to their revenue. Um, and uh, which I just, before we even get into it, I'll just say mad respect for people that manage sales organizations. I had a, a, a small call floor at one point in my life, not an easy thing to do. Uh, David's clearly great at it. He's personally closed over $35 million in sales, average deal size in excess of $150,000. So if you're out there struggling to sell your $1,000 widget, here's a guy that regularly sells multiple six-figure widgets. And we're excited to hear about that. David, welcome to Millionaire Secrets. Oh man, it's good to be here, Jeff. Thank you so much. You have done a wonderful job with the intro. I need to hire you. So. Well, thank you, thank you. Um, <laughs> but uh, sadly, I'm not for hire. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I hope I didn't just totally insult your business by saying that you sell widgets. No, man. You know, I, I think we, we do tend to focus on the technology-enabled services, if you will. Uh, right. So, you know, if there's anything I learned is that uh, I've done this 13 times. Some of them were atrocious. Some of them were good. And this one, I hope, is the best one. And what I have learned is is niche is the keyword, that focus there. So... B2B services firms with a tech flavor that are founder led sales up to the six figures, like in the mid six figures. And we want to help you scale and grow into the mid sevens. That's what we do, you know? Cool. And um, I think that focus is really what has been important for, you know, the growth of this business. People told me to focus 15 years ago. I didn't, I had seven different businesses at the same time. All of them were bad, you know? So I have learned that that was a good advice that I should have followed. So I shall preach that advice to the audience. Focus on one thing and be awesome at it and super, super, super niche down to, to what you really, really do. All right. So folks, that's it. We've had a great episode of Millionaire Secrets. David Led just here. gave us yeah. the key to the universe. So we're done, right? <laughs> no. Good to be here. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Yeah. That was great. But, but, you know, let's, let's back up before you knew that you mentioned some failures. Uh, let's even back up pre-failure and talk about how you how you came to be in this world as an adult how did, did did you always know you wanted to be entrepreneurial did you always know you wanted to be in sales uh yeah how, how'd you get here neither of those things so i graduated college in 99 it was the boom boom sort of you know tech uh internet explosion and everybody was going to be a consultant and we were going to make a ton of money like 40% of my class went to work for the big four consulting firms. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just like the thing. That's what you do. I'm going to be a partner when I'm 30. I'm going to make a million dollars. You know, um, man, it was ridiculous. You know, and and for a little bit, I got to experience the hysteria of this, you know, $20,000 bar bills and stupid, just insane internet stuff that didn't last very long before uh, it all exploded, you know, and we all got laid off. So, you know, 9-11, <laughs> Arthur crashed Enron and the tech bubble all popped at the same time and it was like game over and so that was done and I learned that 
by watching the people who were the partners and the people like five years ahead of me and like this life sucks like I don't want to do this you know so I'm glad that I got my fortune 500 you know check the box for my resume right. stuff I think the name dropping has always been helpful that I, I did my work there uh, and I learned a lot about technology I learned how to code I was an awesome coder that's what I did um, so as far as I know you know there's not a lot of people that go from like being a coder to to being you know sales guy um, but I did and I'm glad that I did but the path was very much uh, circuitous so you didn't in 99 even you didn't unless you were Silicon Valley you kind of didn't have this idea that you could go be an entrepreneur I don't think really people thought about that mm -hmm. as much you know there were people that started businesses but it was foreign and, and and it was crazy to even think like I could work for myself like what would that look like uh, we take for granted all the tooling and the available stuff now I mean you can spin up a website and you know all the SaaS tools and all that like none of that existed it was a lot harder to start a business uh, particularly in technology because you had server infrastructure and all kinds of stuff like that so um, anyway I made my way through a bunch of different internet types of businesses and eventually um, I did decide to go do my own thing and I decided to move to a different city where we knew nobody with some partners and just start a business and spin up and you know kind of hang up our shingle and that was crazy you know at the time i mean now looking back you just go like dude what are you out of your mind like you know nobody you're gonna move to a city start a business and your business wasn't even that good and you just thought like hey if i make a website in 2007 which like nobody cared you know like twitter wasn't even barely a thing you know and it was just dumb uh, but i'm glad we did it you know i ended up in a new city and i met i met a lot of people and um we got blasted when the economy went down in in 2009 so um the neat thing is now i'm on my third 100 year cycle of you know is like this is supposed to be the worst economic downturn in 100 right. years like this is my third one in a you know 20 something year uh career so i figure you know maybe it's every 10 years that it goes and not every 100 years but um my path to sales was just like oh i started companies and i hired like eight people and it turns out you need money to pay them so i started having to go out and try to sell things and at first i was awful at it but then I learned and I, I kept just sort of going, well, I don't know, let me take this on, let me take that on, try to just keep pushing myself forward. And um, ultimately I ended up sort of in a VP of sales type of position for a, a startup. And I kept doing that and it was B2B tech and services. And I did it again and I did it again. And, and it was several times doing that path from six figures to mid sevens before I would kind of outlive my usefulness and by nature of that experience, that was a playbook that I could bring with me. And I said, well, let's make a business about that because the one thing that you can tell from these folks is they can't afford to hire a VP of sales and they shouldn't at half million dollars of services sales. You should right. do that at 5 million. And that nice convenient space between 500 and 5 million was an order of magnitude that we called add one zero. And there's a lot of work that needs to happen in there, scale that business up, get it ready to really have its own sales organization and uh, along the way, you know, participate in that, that growth. And so that seemed like common sense to us, but there doesn't seem to be a lot of people to do that. And I guess I'm glad, you know, because that's good for us and, and we can get clients. So, <laughs> yeah. And so that's so interesting. Um, and, and 
uh, as a technicality, when you talk about the sales numbers, are you talking monthly sales or annual sales? That's annual. We work that's, with small okay, companies. That's what I thought. Yeah. That's mm -hmm. what I thought. Yeah. So, yep. um, yeah, I mean, $5 million a month tech company would be. That would be cool. Yeah. That's a company that's got their own in-house sales, most likely. Uh, yeah, I think so. And it should. Exactly right. Like you, you got to that run rate where you're talking about, you know, half a million dollars a month, like you should build your own thing or, or go somewhere like it's that's not what we do, you know, right. but I want to get you to that point, because there's a hell of a distance between 500 and 5 million. Yeah, now, there's you want to go know, five to 50, right? That's a huge deal. Different. I don't do that. Right. Go, go hire your person. Right. So yeah, and it's it. So it's just a little context. I, I'm I'm try, I don't want to like name names here, but I have such an intimate experience with what you're describing. So in this, in the fall of 2018, I sold my uh, agency at a digital agency. We mm -hmm. had a couple thousand small business clients on uh, a continuity, you know, continuity services. And it was very attractive for a software company because they could migrate, essentially deliver the same cert. What we were delivering as a service, they could deliver through SaaS. And so right to migrate the subscriptions over, suddenly the subscriptions are worth 10 times as much because now they're software subscriptions, not mm -hmm. service subscriptions. So, so we got a decent multiple on our book of business for the agency. I sold the agency now I, and that's when I started Entra and I, I do what I do now. But um, man, one of, the, one of the terms of the deal was, because I, I had built my agency through uh, a phone sales model. I had you know about 25 sales guys in the office that I managed, I scripted, I held accountable. I, 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 you know, eventually we hired a manager, but for a while I did the meetings when they were struggling and they thought and they were boohooing and acting like, you know, the world was against them. I would get on the phone and close the sale just to show them how it's done. And like, so, so I knew, I know, man, you know, how to manage mm -hmm. a, at least a medium sized sales team. And, uh, and then I sold the, I sold it to this software company and these guys, they didn't know their ass from a hole in the ground when it came to sales, uh, at least because they just gotten funded. Yeah. Oh, and the that's people, great. And the, yeah. and the, the guys yeah. that got brought in on the back of the funding, they're the guys who didn't know, didn't know their ass from a hole in the ground. They were, they were plucking talent from all these other tech companies and trying to cobble together this perfect team. And it was a bunch of, oh. it was a bunch of like, you know, managers and no doers. Yep. And, uh, yep. and so the, and, and the owner kind of knew that. So when I sold the agency, they put in the contract for me to come in and do some sales consulting for them. Yeah. Do the old workout. Yep. And it was everything you're describing. It was guys trying to go from $100,000 a month in sales to yep. a million, let's say. And they just shouldn't, they should have hired you. <laughs> well, I'm, I, I wish I was around, but I could have saved you from your fate. But you know, yeah, I least. mean, I, so yeah. I know the, the, the intricacies and the difficulties of getting from that you know, man, that, that team that like one guy can reasonably manage mm -hmm. to a team that requires systemic management. Yeah. We want to management and it's just a, yeah, they didn't know what they were doing. Yeah. I, I mean, we live, we live down funnel. We want to close deals, you know? So I was always against this idea. I mean, I did this for a long time, but I was against the idea with this company that I don't want to sell consulting. I don't want to sell coaching. I don't want to teach the founder how to sell better. I want to work with the founders who want to get out of the seat. And I, I want to come in and actually myself and the closers like me and our team of ops and rev ops people like build revenue systems and close deals, like legitimately get on calls and close more revenue. So I had this idea that like, 
I don't want to charge people money for anything except making them more money. And yeah, we got to do some consulting and advisory around the edges, but like, I don't, don't want to do that anymore. And there's a proliferation of consulting, you know, a VP of sale consultants and coaches and, you know, God bless you. If you want to become a better salesperson as a founder, and that is your goal to sit in the sales seat, then you should hire one of those folks. If you're going to get that, get out of that seat, you got it as far as you can get it. Now you want to go be a CEO and do everything else. That's where we want to live. You know, so like we don't teach people how to be better sales folks and get paid, you know, five grand a month to show up once in a while and be a consultant. I just don't believe that's a thing. We want to close you more deals and we want to help you grow by based on your own revenue and do it as efficiently as possible and build all the systems and the tool chains and the workflows. And it's 80% ops. Yeah. Well, sit there and make deals. Right. So, and the problem with it too, is I don't care, you know, what you've done in your past, you walk into a new sales organization, start trying to tell a bunch of sales guys what they need to do. If they've never seen you close a sale, they don't give a crap what you say. That's true. Yeah. It's doggy dog. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, they just, they don't respect you, man. It's like walking, yeah. it's like, a, you know, you or me walking onto a NBA basketball court and trying to tell the players, <laughs> no, you need to stand over there. They're like, show me something, dude, go dunk a basketball before I listen to you. Right. And they're like, well, I can't. You know, I'm scared. Right. You know, it's the same thing happens with like uh, high end marketing types. So we always have to prove ourselves out to the marketers. You know? Yeah. So the marketers are always like, Oh, we're bringing great leads and you know, this and that. And, and sometimes they are. And, and I say, look, you know, we need more meetings and we need meetings with the right people. And I will prove to you when somebody is the wrong person, because I record everything and we're going to record all the objections. And I'm going to show you exactly where this falls off the train. So it, it's really about data and, you know, it's uh, it's kind of agile in nature. You know, we really are trying to be super, super lean the same way you would test out a product or AB split test. That's what we're doing with sales. Let's figure out exactly what works and exactly who the right people are to talk to track all the objections and the questions, feed that information back up to marketing, try to make it more of like a, a living iterative system. It, it just, it isn't about the all-star sales closer. It's about the right offers and the right leads. I'm glad you said it's 80% operations. You know, I, I want to sort of speak to the audience here for a second. Mm-hmm. If they're listening to this conversation. Oh, he's talking about sales. I'm not into that. Right. Bullshit. If you're not into sales, you're not into making money, you're not into having a viable business. If you're thinking, I'm not into that, fine, leave the podcast, never come back because you do not like money, so you don't need to listen to Millionaire Secrets. Or get over it and tune in because we're about to start talking about sales and it is the beating heart of the business you want in your life. Amen, amen. Bow down to Jeff Lerner. That's so right. Bow down to David Ledge, man. You're you're closing... $150,000 $150,000 deals. I saw on your thing, you said 50 million of sales. So, I mean, there you go. You know, <laughs> I hate to say it, but we might be up over 60 now, but. Oh, well, you know, who's counting, oh. right? So. <laughs> yeah. You get I do like large ticket size though. So, you know, I think that's, that's important. Well, and it's hard to get to 35 or 60 million selling $50, you know, sure is, Girl yeah. Scout cookie bundles or whatever. Yeah. So. I mean, Hey, if that's where you get your start though, you know, go sell those cookies. You know, I respect those kids that are selling, you well, know, yeah, we don't have skills. Those skills will take you a long way. Well, I mean, Hopefully how many of those like the really legit, you know, old school entrepreneur seller types, did you hear about that went door to door selling knives, encyclopedias, vacuums, like you name it, getting doors slammed in their face. The one thing I'll tell you, like, I wish that we still had is that kind of experience because oh, yeah. learning, learning how to eat those nose 
and come back for more. You know, I, I wish that I knew that earlier. I think I could have made a lot more money. So, um, you know, mad props to those folks that, well, you know, I live in Utah and I'm not Mormon, but I know a lot of people who are. And at 18, they trucked off to foreign countries and tried to sell religion. No yeah. and, and in many cases, successfully sold religion door to door for two years. And uh, that's why Utah is the ultimate recruiting ground for both door to door and, you know, phone based sales organizations because they got yeah. a cr group of hundreds of thousands of young people here that literally, I mean, you talk about getting a door slammed in your face. <laughs> literally. You know, uh, you, you knock on the wrong door talking about, you know, an update to the Bible. You know, either it, you know, whatever. I don't want to go into it, but like, yeah, I know you're so right. I mean, you can imagine not. some of those conversations. I personally always engage the folks who come to the door, but I, I have, I imagine that they may have taken some, some interesting attitudes. But, but um, here's the thing: they're amazing, and they write their ticket after that experience yeah. in sales. I, I know there's such a resistance to sales, and you know, a resistance to. Here's the thing. Resisting sales is like resisting love. Like you don't want love. What? Oh, you don't want to like have, you know, in spirited, engaging conversations with people that ultimately build to an alignment of belief that create a, an energy and a resonance towards a mutually uh, agreeable decision and commitment that leads to a positive outcome. You're not into all that. Oh, what? So you don't want to get married. You don't want to have a future. You don't want to. Be I want to write all that down. Like sex. Like you're not into any of that. <laughs> Okay, cool. Great. Bail on sales. Makes sense. And you're so right. You know, I, I just think it's a bunch of great conversations. Like I don't, I don't really have trouble with that. And I'm, I almost feel like I'm not trying to sell anybody on something they shouldn't do. You know, and maybe it's about like what you choose to represent. Like, so we only do business with businesses that I really want to sell what they do. You know, it aligns with our values. It, it actually makes people's lives better. So there's nothing better than getting on a call and saying to somebody, you know, like, look, honestly, for real, it makes no difference to me if you buy this, like it will make no personal difference in my life. However, I am so confident that this will make you and your business better, that if you get off this call and don't do this thing, it'll be your loss. It won't be mine. And you know, like, I don't have commission breath. I don't care if you buy this thing because the next call will. So let's get to the quick no, but you're screwing yourself if you don't do this because I know we're right. And that's just a very validating position to be in, you know, that, yeah. that this thing is valuable and the world's going to get better when we put it in play. And, and frankly, we've had some clients where I thought that would be the case and we just couldn't make traction. And I started to learn like, oh, this isn't what I thought it was. And, you know, let me stop taking your money now. I cannot help you grow your business. And so we'll, we will definitely fire ourselves if, if that's the case, it's only happened once so far, but uh, you know, I'm, I'm hyper vigilant about that. You know, if I, just, I don't want to take your money if, if we're not making you more money. When you started, so you, you mentioned being a coder transferring sales. Um, for, for, when, when was that about what, sorry, what, what year? So I went coder from 99 to about 2005. I started being an operator. It's so like a COO type of thing there where I worked for the sales organization, implementing things that they sold. And that was a really valuable experience to be on the production side. I then became a founder where I wanted to be a practitioner, realized that I was the only one who was going to sell because I was the CEO 
and that was sort of the path to to doing sales thing. But I will say that that sort of three year stop in the operator role made me have a lot of respect for particularly selling services because you should not do the stupid sales thing where like everybody's worried that you're going to go out and try to sell any deal you can get, mm -hmm. even if it's impossible. And I was able to work closely with salespeople and understand what it's like to be on the the implementer and deliverer side for when yeah. people would just like randomly make things up and sell them. And I think that was bad, you know, so I liked that stop. Uh, I, in fact, I really like, I resonate with being an operator. I'm just not as good at it as I'd like. So, you know, I, I would have stopped in the COO role if I was actually able to, to pull it off, but it turns out I'm not very organized. So God bless my partner. <laughs> she actually does that part. So. Well, it's funny, you know, you, you mentioned again, massive, massive value nugget here, you know, e e either selling, either selling the wrong thing or selling the right or wrong thing to the wrong client or at the right time or wrong time or the wrong too. time yeah. or, or even selling the right thing to the right client, but with the wrong expectation set, yeah. like these are all recipes for operational disaster, which, you know, a, a big part of my audience here is either established business owners uh, or, or, you know, startup entrepreneurs or people that are thinking, hey, should I start a thing to maybe work my way out of my job? Like, listen, yeah. if you're going to have to live with the consequences of the sales of the transactions, heed this message. <laughs> like, yes. Yeah. And, and, and you, you know, it, it usually comes out of desperation. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, like when you are so desperate to make that sale, that the one or two sales to the clients that will actually get you out of your, you know, corporate desk job and you're growing your side hustle mm -hmm. and you are willing to take, you know, almost anybody with money and you will twist yourself into like pretzel loops to make sure that, you, oh yeah, we could totally do that. You know, we'll <laughs> expand our services for this and that, and we'll make custom scope and, you know, we'll do anything you want. Cause like you actually have money just know that those clients are very, very hard to deliver and they're ultimately going to suck your life out. So, you know, try to, try to focus and, and, um, you know, bring in an anchor client that doesn't suck. <laughs> like, because yeah, listen, um, even if know, it takes a year. Yes. Like no just, just, oh yeah, just do it. Like I, I am so grateful for, you know, our business had a client that I picked up as a, as a first consulting client right out of having left my my previous work and to this day they're our biggest client we've made them grow a ton you know made them lots of money but they still get the most favored nation pricing like they're way under rate card mm -hmm. and, I, and i'm just grateful to those guys who gave us a chance and listened to my pitch and then you know sort of gave us that time and, and we've done a really good job but i mean it could have been like you know they kind of took a chance on on this new business that mm -hmm. we, and we built it on the back of that contract. And I'm still grateful for those relationships and to see them double, triple in size and, you know, make millions of dollars based on what we do. Uh, that's very rewarding. And I, I'm grateful that they gave us a chance to prove it because we, we got a lot of our core metrics out of that. And I said, okay, cool. I can add a zero. This is not total BS. You know, I imagined that we could, and I was pretty sure we could, but we really did. And now here's somebody who will vouch for it. So, and yeah, it's funny, man, those, those early clients, um, we, we have a few, I've had a few in every business. I mean, every business has them and, and yeah, you never, you never forget them. You know, they're always kind of like a, it's like an old high school girlfriend or something. You <laughs> always have that special feeling about, but I, uh, 
you have those and then you have the ones that give you PTSD and like when your phone yeah. rings and that name comes up like pay attention to that because yeah, those are like, the oh, sales you God. shouldn't have made right yeah those are the ones that you should fire right <laughs> so so I'm curious um especially because and and just you know again you, you know from my point of view I, people you know I, I get this question all the time because I'm, I'm pretty visible online now and so I get a lot of people, just random messages from people like, hey, what should I, the, the question of like, what should I do? And I'm like, I know nothing about you. Give me more content. Right. And it usually comes down to like, I want money, but I don't have money. Mm-hmm. So like, and I think it takes money to make money. I've heard, my dad told me that once upon a time. So now I'm going to live the rest of my life with that as an excuse. It's a hell of a lot easier when you have some money to start it, with. It is. And, and here's yeah. the thing, you got to have something to exchange. And yeah. for most people, the most exchangeable thing is money. You want, you want to a car you exchange money for it it's the most liquid thing yeah Yeah. it's the most liquid and it's the most you know the the value is defined based literally on like rates of exchange but there's other things you can exchange for assets and value and consulting and insight and whatever i mean really it's like yeah your experience and your time but you got to have something to offer yeah and usually when people say i have no money i say well do you have anything else of value and if they say, well, no, I'm, well, you've got a problem, right? Like, let's go learn a foreign language. Let's learn to code. Let's, yep. you know, take a class on, I don't know, basket weaving. Like, you got to have a skill or something. And, um, but, you know, everybody, I mean, I'm being overly. You can trade on your network. Value. You can trade on, like, do something. I mean, learn how to try to sell something. Like, but, yeah, learn I, I learn how to do mean. basic yeah. bookkeeping. Yeah, I mean, find like, a disorganized business owner that needs help, like do something. Yeah, I mean, just just get minimum wage from somebody that you can help. You know, I, I everybody who wants to do a startup, go find a founder, and like legitimately work hard for that founder, so you can experience what that looks like. Because it's not all glamorous starting a business. You know, there's a <laughs> lot of beatdown, and uh, I, mean, I always say it's like the second hardest thing I ever did. Did first thing being parenting. You know, so if you, if you don't have any, I, I called my kids organic startups. If you don't have any organic startups, then, you know, like the, the next hardest thing you can do is, is start a business. But um, that, yeah, man, you, Orga- I'm going to tell my wife about that. When I get home organic. You, you, <laughs> like, babe, you, you think I'm a successful founder. You're a four time successful founder. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. And, and you pay dearly for it. You know, I, I don't to keep talking about the ROI. So I hope that comes back. But um <laughs> So anyway, what was I saying? So yes, you need some medium of exchange. I will say though that like what I would advise people there, and again, I'm on the services side. So I do right. I do work with a lot of consultants and you know professional service providers and agency owners and things like that. So it's not just straight technology or info products. It's it's you know, some kind of hourly or or um, knowledge management transfer. Um, Think about the things that you take for granted that you think are like, that you do that are almost like to you. It's like, why doesn't everybody do this? Like the yeah, thing that you, that, that comes easy to you and you go like, this is brain dead. I can't sell that because everybody just does that. Look for that thing because chances are that's the thing that everybody doesn't do. And you just take it for granted because it's so easy for you. Mm-hmm. And so that I think like to me, our business is, like, duh, of course you should do that. You know, that's the way it should be. And, and then I was like, wait, nobody does that. And like, people think that's unique and novel and innovative. And we know how to do a thing that you don't. And that was the thing I took for granted. And I wonder if that's not the case for, you know, every sort of knowledge-based 
work, you've got to be good at something. I mean, you're, you're living, breathing. You're not like a, a total waste of space, right? I mean, you must have done something to get this far. So, you know, maybe you detail cars. Maybe you're like, what's a hobby? You know, there's got to be something that you do that. Yeah, I mean, I'll give, I'll give an example. I, I've got a, there's a, a woman in, in our inner circle masterminds that I work, you know, here in Ontario, we have a high-end mastermind, which I can actually work directly with people, which I love. Yeah. And uh, she's building out an amazing, she has an amazing vision. She's still building it out for curriculum and support mm. and a community around homeschooling. Yeah. She homeschooled her. I think she had five kids. She homeschooled and now they're, they're older. And she's like, well, yeah, I homeschool my kids. I love my kids and I taught them. And, I, and I'm like, when we helped her, re, and she already had the vision, but we really like sure. did the research to validate. Like there is a huge, especially post-COVID. Yeah, right. You know, that was timely. Huge, but she yeah. was thinking it even pre-COVID. Huge sure. demand in the market yeah. for what, what seems like a very specialized thing that for her was like extremely run of the mill. And, and how, I mean, be specialized. Like even it's not that specialized now, but you know, like, I mean, it's, it's still different. And like, if you get 10 clients that pay you 50 grand a year, or, you know, like be specialized, be niche. Yeah. Be, be very clear about what you don't do so that you only take on the ones that you'll make the most money from and, and be selective. That's that focus. And, and, Again. and it's interesting, you know, when you start thinking about like niche science and and you know, avatar definition and getting specific, you can take anything mm -hmm. and parse it into multiple specializations. So like take homeschooling, for example, you could have, oh, I specialize in, in homeschooling kids that have been enrolled in school up through at least elementary school. Absolutely. And now they're 13, they're 12 or older and you wanna bring them home. I specialize in that situation. Yeah, and that's- Or I specialize in homeschooling you know, kids on the spectrum, or I specialize yes. in homeschooling. Uh, you know, I specialize in how to homeschool a teen who's had a kid who's trying not to fall out of their education, but right. has, you know, now has a kid right. required. There's like so many permutations. And that niche like makes you immediately stand out because you specialize in something. Now, if I'm the consuming person and I find you, I go, that's me. Yeah. But if I'm just like, oh, I'm a, I'm a homeschool, you know, coach, consultant, I help families who want to homeschool. Well, it doesn't hook me because yeah, it's pretty big. You got to have a hook. Be anything. And so don't sell to everybody. Sell to a tiny little thing. And I know as an entrepreneur, you get scared like, oh, but I'll turn away potential revenue that I actually could serve. Not really, because people maybe will come to you anyway and say, hey, would you make an exception for an interesting family like mine, I've got five adopted kids and you, go, yeah, I could totally handle that. Right. But like, you don't have to hang out your advertising in that way. Yeah. And plus so, in that scenario, it's a lot more, you know, you've, you've got some reciprocity built into simply taking the deal. So yeah. they're going to be a lot more tolerant of the fact that they're not a perfect fit. Oh, that's, that's good system. too. Yeah, absolutely. Reciprocity is without question, my, my favorite business psychological trigger. I, uh, I love that Cialdini, you know, I'll, I'll okay. put that into everything, man. Um, that's Those, a huge part of our business right now. So it's funny you mentioned, so mm -hmm. God, so many good nuggets here. You mentioned, uh, you know, influence is mm -hmm. influence and persuasion are the two. The oh, two I love those books, man. Cialdini books that I've read. Yeah. So when I started Entra, the business I have now, um, 
it, it, it was, I was, I was doing two things at once. One, I wanted to take everything I'd already done and everything I already knew. And like you said, package what I knew into an opportunity for a large number of people that were, yeah. you know, assumably wanted it. But the other thing I wanted to do was prove out some stuff that I didn't know, but mm -hmm. that I knew I could learn because I knew it was important, which was like how to, how to, you know, grow, grow social media influence, how to build an authority brand, because I'd made a lot of money online, but I wasn't like a visible guy online right. until two years ago. So I wanted to show, here's how you grow a YouTube channel. Here's how you grow Instagram. Here's how you connect on Facebook and grow a group and all this new stuff that was new for me. So the first thing I did was, when was this? This was spring of 2018. I hadn't even sold the agency yet. I read Influence six times <laughs> in a row because- yeah. I was like, I don't want to, you know, I read a lot of books. I mean, I've got a shelf. I've read all those books. Ask me what's on page 71 of any of them. And I can't tell you, but I was like, if I read the, instead of reading one book and then the next, I feel like a lot of times with reading, do you read a lot? I'm guessing you do. I consume like a lot of audio books because okay. I have a lot of car time. So I, and I, I tend to you know, be able to capture them. I'd rather read if I could sit and do that. But yeah, right. so I yeah, I, I listen. I listen to audiobooks too. Yeah. I, I honestly consider them. I mean, depending on what type of learner you are, one right. can be better. I mean, some people that should not read, they should just listen to the, the audios because that's how they learn. They're auditory learners. But um, but anyway, to my point, you know, sometimes I feel like reading books becomes a little bit of like an ego thing. Like I read forty-seven books this year or something, and so I started by going. What is the one book that I could read that if I could literally know everything that the author knows, if I could like get in his brain or get his brain in my head, I would be so more, much more powerful. And it was that book. It was Influenced by Cialdini. So instead yeah. of reading six books, I read one book six times, like yeah. with an highlighter and with a pen and taking notes and like rereading paragraphs over and over until I felt like they were etched in stone. And it is literally half the reason that Entra's scale and, and my brand has scaled as fast as it is because I like, that was the foundation. It's funny you mentioned his name. I think it would be that one or it'd be uh, Carnegie, like how to win friends and influence how to win, people. Oh yeah, I've got yeah. that over here. Too. I mean, everybody got that one too, you know? Yeah. So, and there's that one. And like, if you really want to get deep and sort of like ethereal, uh, think and grow rich would be another one. Yeah, I got that one too. I'm sure you got that one too. I got the so, seven habits over here. Uh, yeah, all the, all the staples, man. I like saw that. I saw this motivational speaker one time and his shtick was that he had read Carnegie's book like 62 times and he knew it better than anybody in the world. I'm like that's kind of smart. <laughs> it is. No, it was dude, it was so powerful. Yeah. Um because I mean to this day like social proof, reciprocity, liking, authority, commitment and I mean I think about commitment and consistency every day. Like those principles now are so etched in my brain right right um because i because of that one phase in three months where i read the book six times i uh i think you're so right yeah i mean i i know that i've gone over those principles you know sort of over and over again and uh it makes a tremendous amount of sense every time i go back to it from, from a sales standpoint from sales yeah i mean that's the thing about sales. like i'm I, I even today my partners and i we 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 had a contest between us we're trying to rewrite our video sales letter to increase conversions. And the three of us, we're all going to do it. And whoever gets, whoever wins, the company's going to buy a Rolex and whoever's VSL wins gets to wear the Rolex. 
But, <laughs> but then if, if somebody else beats you, we have to send them the Rolex. So it's like a title belt. Um, and, uh, and so I took about two hours today. I had a, a window of time and I, and I banged out the majority of a really good sales. I mean, I know it's good. The reason I know it's good is because every word I'm like reciprocity, social proof, liking, right. authority, and then, you know, also just general concepts of tone and language. And, but, uh, you know, this, it, it's just like sales. I mean, whether it's sales through written word or sales through spoken word, right. it's a learned behavior. So let me ask you, you, you say that, well, I realized I needed to pay people. So I needed to bring in some money. What did you do? I'm assuming you didn't just jump, dive into selling, get on the phone. I mean, did you like learn? Did you read? Did you go to a seminar? What'd you do to actually learn to sell? And maybe, maybe you did jump in, but that's cool too. I did just jump in and I was horrible. Oh, okay. and, and then I was, I was enough of a student to just be like, what just happened? Like every time I go on these meetings, like I can't, I can't get anything to happen. And, you know, then I think what taught me a little bit better about selling was having to do a lot of written work. So I actually did these long uh, RFP responses for like government work and, and uh, technology projects and stuff. And I had to write like 400 page responses describing our solution and all that stuff. And I think that really ended up solidifying that, oh, language was important. And then I started thinking about copywriting and, and then I learned about direct response and long form sales letters. And I, I think that that that's a good place to start. Copywriting is huge. Um, being you first focused, you know, don't write about me, uh, write about you, the, the consumer, you know, what's the value based mm -hmm. um, reality of that solution, you know, that, that was huge. So is it I think it's Jeff Walker, right launch like that, that book was yeah, was the, really good PLF yeah. product launch formula. Yeah, you know, he was the sort of like the original, uh, I guess, you know, sort of online guru type of guy. And I, I met a, a friend of mine, uh, who, who does direct response marketing. And it was, it was new to me in the startup space. People don't teach uh, entrepreneurs, you know, all that uh, direct response writing and, and copywriting. And uh, I think Which that's is craziness, by the way, that they it don't. Is, it's completely insane. I, and I ran a startup accelerator where we did lean startup and, you know, all these things, long curriculum and teaching people how to pitch and all this stuff. I mean, nothing about sales or, direct response writing or revenue. And it was just bizarre, you know, and I, I felt like that was a huge missing element. But because here's uh, the thing, the tech startup space, they're so, uh, they're so, they're such product enthusiasts. They're so, they're so romantically involved with their product yeah. and their solution. They think it's basically supposed to sell themselves. They shouldn't have to use any, you know, clever language. Yeah, they call that the base camp fallacy. Uh, you know, if you build a thing that's good enough, people will just sign up for it. And mm -hmm. um, and once in a while, I guess that works. You know, it's kind of like field of dreams. But um, yeah, I don't know why. Like, I guess the self serve, you know, MRR model is so compelling. You know, so uh, that's what you want to make VC, right? So maybe that zeitgeist is sort of just part of the the gym but i mean you know 99.9 percent .9 of the time like you're gonna have to get on a call and actually sell something to somebody and it's very hard to scale a technology business in b2b at least without at least having some kind of human implementation set up you know onboarding customer success like whatever like you're just not going to sell a hundred thousand dollar thing without a lot of people stuff right and and that takes people selling 
you know, as well. So um, God bless you if you have a thing that like is really self-serve and people can sign up for it and you got a million users paying you 10 bucks a month. I mean, that's just not the world I live in. That's amazing. And I'm proud of you. Uh, but it, it, it's not as easy as people. Well, but think, let's, you know? let's, let's, so. let's call it like it is that if you're aspiring to live in that world, it's probably not the world you're going to end up living in. Those are very, very, very Super few and far between. Yeah, it just doesn't happen, you know, and, and you need a tremendous amount of- And they're not built input. to last, honestly, in my opinion, because- I don't know if they, anybody wants them to last. I think they're built to sell, you know, they're, they're maybe built to with the dream of exit, you know, it's just like my only, if my only business plan is like just amounting users and, you know, just get people to, to buy my thing or acquire my company, that's a reasonable strategy, except that it's, it's still rare mm -hmm. and people aren't going to necessarily do that. You know, I mean- I just saw Twitter bought one of those large agencies, you know, where they, they acquire the whole thing to do, you know, product work. And I mean, how many thousands of agencies are there that are not going to get acquired by Twitter? Right. And, right. Um, you know, so just get real about, you know, what you're doing. And I, I also think if you build the company that you actually want to keep, they have a better chance of selling it later because it's actually going to be something that you, you care about. So, you know, people ask us about our exit plan. And I just think that's funny because I don't want to exit. I want to just build and grow my thing. And by nature of not caring about that story, we made a lot more money, you know? And I think that's, that's interesting because I've done the whole, you know, VC back startup and hyper growth and work 70 hours a week. And, and, you know, your options end up being worth nothing. And, uh, I'm not going to do that again. <laughs> so. Well, you know, it's interesting. You talk about that. That's cool. I like that you said if you if you don't build your if you build the company you want to keep, it'll be more valuable if and when you decide to sell. Um, you know, for people that have never been through that, you know, I've been in the room on a couple of those conversations, and you know, the number one thing that the the capital guys, um, maybe not so much when you're in early growth stage, but like when it's a going concern. They really want to know, like, what's the story? What's the brand? Mm -hmm. What what's what's the intrinsic value? They, they they want they only want to look at the financials if they like the story. And you're a lot. If your story is, oh, I built this to sell. Even if you don't say that, it it's still there if it's true. Yeah, I mean, don't you? I mean, you probably talked to a bunch of you know aspiring entrepreneurs like, yeah, I'm going to sell the Facebook. Like that's my whole plan. That's all I want to do. Or Google's going to buy me. And, right. and I'm just like, no, like they're not. And, you know? and, and even if they were, they probably aren't because that's your only plan. Like they want to buy you because you add intrinsic value or right. you have like, you add some strategic value to an asset that they already have or, you know, something like that. So it just takes bigger thinking and i regret that we have this startup mythology of you know the social network and you know so we yeah. we sort of heap all this praise on on the, the 0.00001% that i mean elon's amazing like i think elon musk has pulled off some crazy stuff and that's so cool but you just can't do that you can't be peter thiel when you grow up you know he just is like they they did some amazing things at, at some point in well, time and, he, and he's a, he's so he's a snapshot yeah i yeah. mean it existed it was a window it's not the same window now it's like, it happened. It's like wanting to be thomas edison or something right yeah it just it's let's all learn from that like i think the books are interesting you know so zero to one and the hard thing about hard things and like we should we should take lessons from from each of those but 
Um, it's not realistic, you know, for everybody. It happened at a, a particular pond, you know, it, it just grew in an ecosystem. It maybe isn't going to happen, you know, if you live in the middle of Ohio, you, you don't have the resources that those folks had at that exact point in history. So, but there are business lessons to be learned, you know, no matter what the fundamental things. If you're going to mythologize any founders, you know, sort of spend time and, and collect a whole lot of stories from founders so that you can pull out the common elements. Yeah, and, and, and study, you know, as much as you study like Mark Zuckerberg, study like Sam Walton, you know, who yeah. spent 10 years crisscrossing middle America and his brother's airplane studying <laughs> you know, highway patterns and learning about small towns and doing a lot of analog stuff, because that's actually a lot more relevant to like starting a business today than what was it like to live with 20 19 year olds in Palo Alto and live off ramen for two years. Like, you know, I don't know about you, but I got four kids. So. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. It's not realistic. You know, I, I, I work with, um, I work with a lot of folks that, you know, are, are single and do the whole, you know, sort of I'm a digital nomad and, um, you know, I'm a subcontractor and I can do whatever I want and work from Bali. And, uh, you know, I, I like to say my life choices have precluded that option for me, you know, and it's cool. You know, I'm, I'm glad people can can do that. But, um, yeah, definitely take it on from a, a realistic standpoint. There's nothing wrong with those things but if that's not really what you're able to do you know don't build your business might, vision around it so. i might offend some segment of my audience by saying this but the older you you are the more that what you just described just sounds like defeat <laughs> if you're 57 years old and you're like i never married i just live on a beach in bali and i manage facebook ads for overseas clients i have to, I have to get up at three in the morning every now and then to meet them on a call like dude you just sound like you gave up like <laughs> I, mean, I, I might sound like a jerk i don't judge people's life choices but like is that really the life that most founders are aspiring to I don't know that that's even you know i i don't know what life that is it's not mine and and uh you know if if people can look in the mirror and say they're happy doing that, then, you know, that's, that's fine with me. But, uh, and if you're good at managing ads, you know, Hey, give me a shout because <laughs> we need you sometimes, but yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. You know, I, I think it's, it's just about the realistic picture of a, a lifestyle business. that's actually legitimate for, you know, your, your life stage. And, and when you are doing that side hustle type of thing, it's, it's far more likely that you're going to be in the lifestyle business type of zone um, so build something that you can, you know, set yourself up a little bit that you can back off, make some residual, you know, income from. And, and I think that's okay. Like we don't have to all build billion dollar businesses and I don't aspire to that anymore. At one point I, I did, and it's ungratifying to work 80 hours a week. I, um, uh, would rather be a good father and, you know, take care of my, my life and work, you know, my, my 40 hours and kind of, you know, go home, which these days is just walk into the, the kitchen. So. Yeah. And here's the thing, you know, the idea, oh, entrepreneurs are people that'll work 80 hours a week. Uh, so they, so they never have to settle for working 40 hours or whatever the whole silly yeah. adage is, which like I get, I mean, right now I'll, I'll own it. I'm in, a, I'm in a hyper growth phase, two years into starting a company. We scaled 3000% in the last 13 months. Part of it's because I've been working 80 hours a week. It just is right. what it is. But like, you know, I chose that. My family knew what I was choosing. I get up really early, so I still get the work done and I still see my kids. But um, 
but it, but yeah, I mean, to, to your point, it, the idea isn't to, the idea of like, oh, you want more money, you want a bigger success, trade more time. That's actually the opposite of entrepreneurship. It should be right. acquire more leverage. Yeah, yeah, I so think of it as, as like- a managing um, partner of a managed sales organization, you can, you know, in 40 hours a week, if you want more money, you can go, you can go acquire a bigger client, not work 10 more hours. Yeah, I want to find the right client because we get paid, you know, a slice of sales, right? So if I can just sell MRR tickets that are very high, we get paid on that, you know, kind of indefinitely. So I make a cash flow stream out of it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so we have to be really selective about how we spend our time because it's a tremendous lift. I mean, we're building revenue operations and entire sales divisions from nothing. And, and we do all the work. So yeah, we want to get paid on the, the backside of that. Um, but, you know, I think leverage is systems building. You know, if you've never read the E-Myth, read, read that. You know, that's the thing I think that really tipped me off to that I was right about knowledge management. When I worked at companies, I thought like, why aren't we writing this stuff down? Like, why does everybody, it's like everybody loses checklist X in their email over and over and over again. And I forced wikis onto companies when that wasn't even a thing because I'm like, write this damn thing down. Like, it doesn't make any sense. Why do we waste all this time? You know, just follow it, follow the doc next time and let's all update the docs together. Now that's a, that's a thing. And, and we run our business very carefully on that. So document the hell out of it and make sure that somebody, you know, cheaper than you can do it and do it on repeat so that you can move up and scale your business. So it's nice to see those principles pay off. Let, the best thing as an entrepreneur, I remember each of the moments where I realized that, you know, I was able to take a break and I don't know, work out, drink a beer, you know, hang out and somebody was working and making me money. And those were, those are times that I can literally remember having that realization like, wow, like that's cool. Somebody else is making me money right now and I'm not working. So I, I hope everybody aspires to that moment. Yeah. Cause I mean, listen, every single person on earth, well, every single person who works is either that guy or they're you. <laughs> well, yeah, that's, that's true. Like, yeah, you know, there's a more, there's a more crude way of saying that, that I won't repeat, but like, <laughs> you're the windshield or you're the bug. How about that? Yeah, that one works. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, mine was far worse than that. But, <laughs> yeah. uh, but no, I mean, that, you say, why should I be an entrepreneur? You just nailed it. Do you want to be the guy getting paid from someone else's work? Or do you want to be the guy working to pay someone else? Yeah, I, I wonder about, you know, these gigantic organizations and that somebody started those in a garage too. I know, it's you know, crazy. And, isn't that crazy, right? You know, somebody that has 250,000 employees and, you know, $100 billion of revenue and they they started in their it garage. Was, it, just, at one point, it was one guy registering an LLC. Yeah, and, and we're all the same way. And I don't want to do that. I don't want to put the, the strain and work into it. But in, in that sense, we are all the same, just like we were all born with nothing, you know, and yeah. uh, it is it is the leverage that you create. We all get 24 hours in the day. Uh, I like to bootstrap businesses and start with zero. I mean, we talked about like, you know, sort of how to money makes money. It's fun to start from nothing. It's a beat down. I mean, it's a hell of a lot easier to start a business with 20, 50 grand in the bank. But uh, it's also kind of cool when you turn, you know, four grand into 400,000. So, you know. I mean, I, I started entre, I, I didn't have nothing, but I spent nothing. 
Right, right. Bootstrapping you know, I, is frankly, cool. I had just gotten screwed. You know, that exit I talked about, I kind of got screwed on the deal. I ended up getting cut out of half the payment. That uh, happens, man. And a lot, because, right? honestly, because the company wouldn't listen to me when I told them how to fix their sales. And so they went out of business before they could finish paying me. <laughs> but, In that uh, trip, yeah. but on the heels of that, I wasn't about to tell my wife, hey, babe, don't worry. I'm going to take our money and go start a new thing. I was like, listen, <laughs> I got a new thing, but I'm going to, I'm going to lean it, you know, lean startup myself. And I started just with content. I spent, it was 11 months before I, I sold anything. But I literally, I mean, our company, you know, we have a 150 person team now. And two years ago, it was me posting Facebook videos. <laughs> so like, hear that world. It, it that's a lot back. of scale. Yeah, that's good. I don't scale that fast. Yeah, I mean, and we take it point by point by point. And, you know, I tell you, when you're spending your money on hiring people, you were you really careful about hiring. And that's for sure, you know, buy, you get the right people in the right time and the right skills and, and uh accumulating team members is is a totally different discipline than you know i i was ever used to so i, I think my last step will be figuring out like if there's ever a, an equation to really nail hiring because um, man if you get that right <laughs> you got it so yeah we actually just brought in uh you know we're getting big enough we needed major hr support and we just yeah. brought in in the last probably last quarter of last year it's been three or four months and uh, man, uh, her, you know, st structuring panel style interviews and yep. framing how you can ask questions without opening yourself up to discrimination claims and, yep. you know, uh, employment legalities. And right. you know, I, I, I'll share one little tidbit she gave me that I think is cool. It may be like old hat to you, but um, at the SB, uh, what's it called? Uh, yeah, SBO framework. So like, if you want to say like, if you want to get somebody to talk about themselves uh, without asking them such direct questions that they can claim that you are too direct basically okay sbo situation behavior outcome mm -hmm. so it's like uh were you ever in a situation like x and what did you do and what was the outcome yeah that sure. framework okay. allows you to say to someone basically like you know where's your moral compass right right but you're not asking somebody like, so how important is honesty to you? <laughs> it's more like you're, so you would reframe it as, were you ever in a situation where somebody, you know, enticed you to do something unethical? How did you respond to what happened? Right. Sure. Sure. Because then it's just storytelling. And so it's not like personal, you know? And if you can't come up with a, an example of that, yeah. you're probably trying to lie. Yeah. And then you watch right. them squirm or, or not. Right. Yeah, um, yeah, man. This this is such a good conversation. Like, you know, I, I, my I have a really diverse audience, and so the, some of the audience uh, is probably like, "Oh my gosh, this is one of the best interviews Jeff's ever had." They, you know, they got really into some some serious stuff about really building and scaling businesses and pro, you know, processes and operations and the stuff that really matters. Some people are like, you know, maybe, and and I don't mean this pejoratively, but like, wait, they didn't tell me how to make money. <laughs> right, right like like well how do i make my first five thousand dollars on instagram i thought i was gonna learn that well first of all i have other interviews that talk about that this wasn't that but also i want to say to the and i don't know man they, they don't put me on those so i don't know the answer so you <laughs> should tell me too so. well, I, I i i'm the guy that asked the questions because i'm still trying to figure it all out but um uh, i know i've spent more than five thousand dollars on instagram consultants but um but no in all seriousness there was so much gold in this conversation um, 
you know, I'm, I'm just briefly reviewing, like the, when you said say 80% of sales is operations, like if somebody only takes that away, they can save themselves years of frustration and, and capped growth pot potential because they're trying to power sell their way through yep. as opposed to focusing on process. You know, just as a one thing. So I, I encourage, this is one I think a lot of people are going to want to re-listen to if only to really realize how good it was. And I, I say that as a compliment to you, David. This has been wonderful. Well, I, I appreciate that. Your your kind validation makes me want to do more. And um, go, go spend a 10th hour on Zoom today. <laughs> I did. This is my ninth hour. I, I totally appreciate it. I think I'm going to shut it down, you know, <laughs> for the night. Um, yeah, I mean, it's fun to be uh, to be able to put ideas out in the universe that all came from hard won, uh, hard knocks. You know, none of this is wisdom. It's it's just experience and recognizing how not to do it the wrong way again. So, you know, I encourage people to, you know, give it a try and um, on add10.co, that's ADD numeral one, Z-E-R-O.co, there is um, a blog and YouTube channel there that is, is me talking about and writing about stuff cool. like this. So if there's- if Yeah, there's I was, was going to, my next, my last question was going to be, how can the world go get more of your insight? That's, that's one spot or is there elsewhere too? Um, I post on LinkedIn, but it mostly just links to those things. So if you want to look at our, our company and just, you know, just watch some more videos and do some more thinking, um, please feel free to reach out on LinkedIn, David Ledge, Ledgerwood or ledge at add10.co. Uh, we just love talking to business owners and we have uh, a networking group called the expert community that we do invite uh, B2B founders and sort of biz dev type folks too, if you're interested in a thing like that. We just get together every two weeks on Zoom um, and facilitate conversations. And it's like a, you know, a, a really loose kind of mastermind type of, of thing. We hold each other accountable, share a pitch. Uh, what about this? What about that? Share tips. So people interested in that, um, give us a shout and, you know, we'd cool. be glad to and, hook you up. So, And I want to make sure I, you know, tell me if I don't say this right, but if somebody is, is a software founder, is involved in a software company that's currently, you know, doing a six-figure annualized sales and, and wants to add a zero, that's, I mean, you're the go-to guy right there, right? Yeah, B2B services and tech. So anything related to, you know, the services, businesses that are technology enabled, you know, if you will. So professional services, SaaS, you know, uh, consulting agencies, you know, things like that. Cool. Well, thank you again, David. This has been great. I, uh, I appreciate your time. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you end your ninth hour on <laughs> Zoom and go be with your family. Uh, and I will bid farewell to the audience, all of the viewers and listeners out there. As you know, as I always say, you are the best part of this show and why I do what I do every day. Thank you so much. We'll see you on the next episode. And David, thanks again. You just finished this episode of the Millionaire Secrets Podcast. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please like and share this episode and do leave us a review. Let us know how we impacted you today. Your next step toward creating your awesome life is to join me and thousands of others in the Entra Nation community where you'll receive free training, networking with other awesome life seekers, access to live events, discounts, merchandise, and other awesome perks. Head over to www.entranation.com. That is www dot e-n-t-r-e nation dot com and join us today. 
And of course, do please follow me on social media. I can be found on all the major social networks at Jeff Lerner Official. Thank you again for listening and please go be awesome.